The second Bible reading is from uh, Mark chapter 5, verse 21 to 43. Uh, we saw a little bit on the illustration earlier in the children's talk. You can find it sample uh, page 1050. Mark chapter 5, verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. A woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered. And yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talita kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the, the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told, her, told them to give her something to eat. This is God's word. Thank you, Christine. Now, for this month of Christmas, we've been thinking about the theme of the Christmas we have to have. And over the last few weeks, we've been considering different topics and different themes. So a couple of weeks ago, it was the Christmas we have to have to reveal God. That's how we know about God and know about God the Father. Last week, it was to save us. This morning, it will be to defeat death. 
Christmas happen so that death could be defeated. And tonight it will be to bring us home. There is a home that calls us to. And then on Christmas Day, it will be the Christmas we have to have to grant us peace. It's just to remind us that Christmas is big. It is huge. What Jesus came to do, it is big. And we need to reflect on that and they're the things we believe. But as we think about this one this morning, let's uh, once again join our hearts in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Christmas. We thank you for the wonderful, glorious things that happened at Christmas and why Jesus came. And we pray that as we reflect on this story later in Jesus' life, that you'll teach us why he came, what we are to believe, and the great hope we are to have. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'd like uh, you all to cast your minds back as far as possible to when you were just a little one. Perhaps just as a baby, if you can still remember, crawling, learning to walk and talk. Anyone remember that time? As far as you can. For some of us, not too long ago. For some of us, it's probably 80, 90 years. As far as you can. Or at the time when you started school, started kindergarten. And I'd like you to ask yourself, when you were growing up as a little child, as a little kid, could you have ever expected, could you have ever imagined that your life turned out the way it did? Could you have ever expected that as a little kid growing up? Could you have ever imagined that you were able to do the things you did? Go to the places you've been, see the things you've seen, do the things you've done. Could you have ever imagined that, expected that? The courses you studied or are still studying, the jobs that you have done or the jobs you're still in, the house that you're living in, could you have ever expected that growing up? Could you have ever expected that you would have ended up marrying the person you did, if, for those of us who are married? Hopefully none of us will be disappointed by that. Could you have ever expected to have the children you have now, growing up, as a little kid? Could you have ever expected or imagined that you would have achieved the things you have already achieved in life? I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Re reflecting back, thinking back when we were small, could we have ever expected this? I mean, as I reflected on my life, nowhere in my wildest dreams could I have ever expected that I'll be here. I mean, I was born on this island in Indonesia somewhere, I don't know where, um, uh, out in whatever sea that was. Arrived in Australia when I was only about a year old. Lived in some migrant hostels for a while. And then my parents, I grew up in North Melbourne in the commission flats. That's where we lived for many years before we moved to Alterna North. But now to reflect on that, that was where I came from, to be now here with a family, with children, and serving here amongst you in, the, in this church family. Never in my wildest dreams could I have ever imagined that. The things I've done, the places I've been to, the things I've seen, the experiences I've enjoyed, never in my wildest dreams. As a boy growing up, could I ever imagine that this would be my life now? Uh, in fact, it was probably because when I was growing up, I really hoped to become an astronaut one day. Now, obviously, that didn't happen. I'm still stuck on Earth with you. Not a bad thing. <laughs> but it's not just us, is it? Uh, even our parents, they expect things of us. They imagine things. They have wild dreams and big hopes. And that's what parents do. They do have big hopes, big dreams for their kids as they're growing up. 
Of course, some parents, they're, some of us parents, just delusional, too big of a dream that uh, it's not so possible at all. But what about your parents when you were growing up? You probably could not imagine that your life is what it is now. But what about your parents? What did they expect from you when you were growing up? Did they expect more of you or less? What did your parents expect? Perhaps your parents just thought, well, I do have big dreams and hopes for my son, for my daughter, that they might have a life filled with excitement, adventure. But you ended up in this whatever that might be, a gardener, a glorious job, whatever that might be. But have you ever wondered, on that first Christmas now, the new parents, Mary and Joseph, as they held little baby Jesus in their arms, what they would have been thinking, what they would have been expecting this little baby Jesus to grow up to do, this little baby Jesus to grow up to achieve. Joseph was probably thinking, well, I, I probably just want this Jesus to become a carpenter and that's enough. It's an interesting thought, isn't it? What would they have expected as they carried Jesus on Christmas night? Well, I suspect Mary and Joseph would also have had high hopes for little Jesus. But no one could have ever imagined. No one could have ever expected that Jesus would do what he did one day. You see, if our picture of Christmas, if our understanding of Christmas is just a, a small, weak, powerless, meek and mild Jesus, and that's all we know about Jesus, then that's totally inadequate. Because what happens to babies? What happens to all babies? Well, all babies grow up. All babies grow up. And so did Jesus. And we're in for a shock. No one could have seen this coming. And so the story we're looking at today was about 30 years after Christmas. No longer a weak, powerless, harmless baby. By this stage, Jesus has got for himself a reputation. There are people who love him and follow him. There are those who are afraid of him and want to hide from him. And then there are, of course, those who hate him and want him dead. But now as we look at this story, we see something amazing. There's this prominent man in the city, Jairus, the synagogue ruler. He's known in the community, so just think your local mayor. He's famous, he's important. And he comes to Jesus in great desperation. My little girl is dying. My child is dying. You see, in the ancient world, there's no ER department. There's no public hospital at all. And so you can just understand a father scrambling around, finding anyone to help. Now, this might be a bit hard for us to sort of understand or feel what a father would have been experiencing, the emotional turmoil that must have been going inside his heart at that time the angst and the desperation. This was his precious child, his precious daughter. Now, many years ago, I, I experienced in a small, to a small extent that desperation as a father. There was this one time when Esther was only one years old. We were in a restaurant. She was only my ch only child at that point. Uh, we were in a restaurant, and 
And soon, not long after getting there, her face started to flare up, swollen and red and in fact looked quite hideous. Now, what was my emotion at that time as a father, seeing my one-year-old daughter, only child? It was all over the place. And perhaps it's only something that parents can understand. Rushed her straight to the hospital. This was my only child. She was not well. Her face was big. And you get that, you know, that sick feeling inside when things go wrong. It was like that. Got to the hospital and it turned out she was allergic to eggs. Even that, it wasn't too bad, she recovered. Even that, that, that sick feeling inside, that desperation, my child, she's not well. But here in this story, this 12-year-old girl, not, not just some allergic reaction, she was dying. She was dying. Try to make sense of that as the father. I mean, when she was born, as Jairus was holding his little daughter in his hands, he would have had big hopes for her. My little child, she'll do great things. My little daughter, she'll do wonderful things. He would never have imagined or expected that his precious little daughter would face death so, so young. And so now in great desperation, he breaks down before Jesus. Look at verse 22. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she'll be healed and live. Now, what do you expect Jesus to do at that point? I mean, this was an emergency. A little girl is dying. What do you expect Jesus to do? Probably sprint to the house as fast as he can with, with him. But what happened? Well, he simply walked. He went on. But to make matters worse, do you see that tension in the story? There was a huge crowd, and we encounter another sad story. Look at verses 25 and 26 now. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. Now this woman, she threw all she had at her illness, at getting better, at doctors. Didn't help. Wasted perhaps her life savings. Now, someone like that in the ancient world, they would have been marginalised. They would have been ostracised by society, kept on the fringes. Stay away from us, you filthy, dirty, unclean person. And so once again, you have to imagine what her parents would have been thinking when they held her as a little baby girl. Never in their wildest dreams would they have ever expected their daughter to grow up and to suffer so, so much. Well, again, in desperation, what did she do? Verses 27 to 29. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in a crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. How amazing is that? She was healed finally now imagine again mary and joseph on christmas night would they have ever imagined that their baby boy harmless little baby would 
grow up to do such a thing that someone even just touching his clothes, his cloak, would be healed. Well, Jesus now, he turned around, he asked, who touched my clothes? And his disciples going, what, what do you mean, Jesus? There's a huge crowd here. What do you mean someone touch your clothes? But then she came forward with fear and trembling, and he received Jesus with such tenderness, compassion, and sympathy. He says, verse 34, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Now, of course, while that was happening, this, this interruption in this story, where was Jesus headed? Where was he going to? The story got interrupted, but wasn't there a dying girl somewhere? I mean, did Jesus forget that? Did he forget that someone was more desperately in need? Where were his priorities? I mean, on one side, you've got a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. That's, that's terrible. But on another side, you've got a dying girl, a 12-year-old girl who's dying. Who will you go to help first? I mean, why did Jesus not just say to the bleeding one, just hold on, I'll come back to you. There's a, there's a girl in more desperate need. She's dying, I'll fix her up first, and I'll come back to you. Why did you, didn't Jesus do that? I mean, who would you help first if you had that choice? Well, in our church, we've got a lot of medical professionals. So I asked around. I asked one of the nurses who works um, who, as a nurse and attends this church. I asked her, who would you help first? Well, she gave me this answer. It was something very medical I didn't really understand. But in triage at the hospital, that's what you have to do. You have to make this type of judgment. And she said, well, it depends how anemic she was and how much blood she was losing. And it also depends also on what condition that young girl was dying from. But this nurse friend, she said, well, I would help the little girl. She was dying. And I thought, well, why didn't Jesus do that? Why not help the little girl first? But with all medical opinions, I thought I'd better get a second opinion. So I asked a doctor this time. And I asked a doctor friend who comes to this church. I said, who would you help first? little dying girl or a bleeding woman and he said this well the bleeding woman it seems chronic and presumably it hasn't caused her much grief and major issues in 12 years she can just go to the gp get sorted there no need to clog up the er department the doctor said i'll help the young girl first i mean the nurse the doctor all of us you'll help the young dying girl first and you presume that's what Jesus should have done. But then what happened? Look at verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? And so what happened? Well, Jesus totally ignored that comment. And he said to Jairus, verse 36, Don't be afraid. Just believe. Don't be afraid, just believe. That is, believe in me. Trust in me and you will see something extraordinary. Time is not a problem. It's never too late. Time does not have a constraint on me. Just believe. They're saying, it's too late. She's dead. She is dead. Jesus is saying, it's never too late on my watch. 
You can't impose your time on me. There's no hurry. Just watch and see. Now, do you think Jesus knew that that little 12-year-old girl would die before he got there? Do you think he knew that? Of course he did. And so when Jesus arrives at the home, look at verse 38 now. Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. Now, what did they do? They laughed at him. And of course you would. What do you mean, Jesus? She's asleep. She's dead. We know what a dead person looks like. She is dead. But you see, what Jesus said there was radical, extremely radical. Either it is true and he could wake her up, or it is a terribly sick joke on a grieving family. But then what happens? Well, he walks into her room, verse 41. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Now, the, the name Talitha, the word Talitha is Aramaic. It means little girl. But what's worth noting here is that in the original, it's more like a nickname you would call someone who's dear to you. It's a, it's a, it's a pet name, a nickname. It's someone you call someone who is close to you. A nickname a father would call his own daughter. And so in my household, I've got a name for Esther, my daughter. I don't call her Esther. Only when she gets in trouble, I call her Esther. But normally I call her, it's in Chinese, in Cantonese, I call her daughter. It doesn't sound sweet or endearing, but it is daughter. It's very endearing. I call her daughter. And so he is like a father calling his daughter, honey, or teddy bear, or pumpkins. It's that type of, type of sweet, endearing name. And so Jesus here calls her tenderly, grabs her by the, name, uh, by the hand, honey, daughter, get up. And just like waking her up from the sleep, so tenderly she gets up. I mean, it's very different to how I wake up my kids, not tender at all. But he is so tender. And here, just as easy as waking someone up from sleep, she was brought back from death to life. No big dramatic event, no breaking off any sweat we see from Jesus, no stressing out in any way. Just like waking her up from sleep, he brought her back from death. And so verse 42 now we see, Immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. It's as though Jesus at this point so tenderly, but yet so powerfully, he stretched his hands into the darkness of death and brought her back to life. So powerfully, so tenderly, so easily. Now, Timothy Keller, a Presbyterian pastor in the States, he's very insightful when he talked about this story. I learned a lot from him. He said, it's as if Jesus says, if I have you by my hand, even death itself is but a good night's sleep. If you're with me, nothing can hold you back. Jesus is that powerful. 
Jesus is that tender. Now again, Mary and Joseph, imagine Christmas night. Did they ever see this coming? I mean, all parents have big dreams and hopes for their kids. Did Mary and Joseph see this coming? Surely they had high hopes, but now this. I mean, they could never have expected that that baby they were holding on Christmas night would grow up to even bring the dead back to life. But you see, it was to be expected. The coming of Jesus, we were to expect this because it was part of God's plan all along. It is why, once again we've been hearing each week, it is why it is the Christmas we have to have. You see, Christmas did not happen just to give us an excuse to throw parties and to overeat, though there is much to celebrate. Christmas didn't just happen just to give us a chance to sing Christmas carols, though there is much to sing about. You see, Christmas happened so that Jesus could come and deal with our biggest, most terrifying, scariest problem our greatest enemy, and that is death. And if you think about it, it is our greatest enemy. We will all face it one day, but it is dealt with by Jesus. And if death is dealt with, then our greatest fear is gone, and death will never have the last word. Because you see, in this passage, we get a glimpse of that. That is what we see. We are confronted with the one who can touch and raise the dead. Just let that sink in for a while. We are confronted with the one who can touch and raise the dead. Who can do such a thing? Who has the power to do such a thing? But why was Jesus able to do it? Well, the reason why Jesus was able to do it was because he will one day lose his life. He lived to die, born at Christmas to die at Easter. And in his death, he started to reverse death in the world. He started to reverse death in the world. The little girl he took the hand off is a precursor, a glimpse of what will happen to all who will believe in him. He came to defeat death by his own death. I mean, it's our greatest enemy. But we were not made to die. We were made to live. But we will. You see, C.S. Lewis, he said, 100% of us die and the percentage cannot be increased. We will die. We will face this great enemy one day. Billy Graham, he once said, no one can outrun death. It will catch up to all of us eventually. And even today, when we talk about death in our community, in our society, it, we live in a culture where we like to sanitize death to make it seem so natural and normal and so somewhat nice. I mean, in the movie, one of my favorite movies growing up was the movie The Lion King. And in that movie, death is made to seem so natural. You see, in that movie, we're all part of the great circle of life. And there's nothing to worry about, even death. There's even a song about this. And so when the king, Mufasa, speaking to his young Simba, the future king, he says, everything exists together in a delicate balance. 
When we die, our bodies become the grass, and the antelopes eat the grass, and so we are all connected in the great circle of life. Mufasa is just telling his young son, we all become fertilizer eventually. But he's trying to make death feel so sanitized, so normal, so nice, but no, death is horrible. It is terrifying. It is unnatural. And so Jesus here comes along, grabs the girl by the hand, wake up my child, wake up my little one. But that cost Jesus his life. He reversed death by his own death. Perhaps one of the most dramatic depiction of this I've seen was not in the movie The Lion King, but in C.S. Lewis's movie, or his book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Do you know that movie? Do you know that story, that novel? I only watched the movie. I don't read much. But, but in this book, Aslan the Lion, towards the end of the story, he gives up his life for a betrayer so that Narnia can be freed from the power of death. Did you know that story? Towards the end of the story... Aslan, he was tortured and shamed and beaten and sacrificed on the stone table. The innocent one died in the place of the guilty. And do you know what happened the next morning? Aslan comes back to life again. And he says to the two girls, he says, Because the innocent was killed, the stone table would crack and even death itself would turn backwards. What C.S. Lewis was getting at in the fantasy world was what Jesus really did in the real world. What C.S. Lewis imagined in the fantasy world was what Jesus really did in the real world. Powerfully, wonderfully, but yet so costly. It cost him his life. It's why it's the Christmas we have to have. Who would have ever guessed, you know, that baby Jesus on Christmas night growing up would come to defeat death by his own death. So that even now, this is our greatest comfort, our greatest assurance. It's the wonderful good news of the Christmas story. If Jesus holds us by his hands, then even in death, it is but just a good night's sleep. One day Jesus will say to us, Get up, my child. Wake up, my child. You see, there is no fear in life or death because of Christmas, because of Jesus. That is our hope. That is our comfort. And so this Christmas, let me encourage you to keep that in mind. It is so much bigger than or that we make it to be. It is huge. Jesus has come to defeat our greatest enemy, to defeat death. And so let me encourage you to ask yourself, is that also what you believe? You know what Jesus said to Jairus? Trust me, just believe. Is that also what you believe? Because it's what we sing about in our carols. I mean, we sing about it. It's so filled with wonderful words and meaning. But do we believe it? 
One of my favourite carols is one written by Charles Wesley that we'll sing in a moment. Hark the herald angels sing. We sing about it. We sing about what Jesus came to do. But do we believe it? Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. Glory indeed to this king who has come to defeat death by his own death. Amen. Let's join in prayer.